ceiling is the roof. In this case, the ceiling is kind of two different roofs because for the first time ever, we're recording this podcast under different ceilings or roofs, if you will. So this is a pretty historic moment, Mike. Um, my roof. They'll write about it, I'm sure. Yeah. In some kind yeah. of book. Someone How will. How many episodes of The Last Dance do you think there will be strictly about the ceiling being the roof? Dude, I don't know. Do you think that they're like brave enough episodes. to include that soundbite in the in the show? <laughs> I'd love a narrator like building up to that moment. Do you think that's episode like four, episode seven? Like, how thick is the plot by the time they finally get to that moment? It's probably four through eight. If you if you want me, if <laughs> well, I was director, five full episodes about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll do five episodes on what exactly he's trying to say, Jeez. and then him trying to explain what he was trying to say. And all the circumstances that built up to the moment. You get, like, Phil yeah. talking about it. Dennis is like, man, I, even yeah. I don't know what he was saying there. <laughs> that is going to be some That, that would make TV. my day. But yeah. I'm looking forward to that documentary. I think it's, what, two weeks? Uh, yeah, now? April 19th, I two think. Two weeks from yesterday. Is yeah. when it's coming out. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, ESPN is just <clears throat> kind of coming out of this on top, I think. Able to, able to push up the release of that thing by a couple months. So the ratings will be, I'm doing a thumbs up, like I'm pointing towards you the ceiling. Are. The ratings are going to be through the roof. They're tired of running um, bago championships and axe throwing contests <laughs> yeah. by now. Yeah. No more Can't virtual NASCAR. Make way for the yeah. 98 Bulls. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. How you doing, man? How you making it? I know you, uh, you, live, you live over there by yourself, so it's probably a little bit more difficult than my existence. Or I don't know. It might not be. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's kind of like I, I see both sides, right? Like there are people that have young kids who I've I've really yeah. been feeling for because you know you gotta obviously keep everybody safe, but then just being kind of stuck in the house with kids and trying to like become a teacher. If anything, I think this is <laughs> yeah. gonna give everybody a greater respect for teachers uh, for yeah, what, what everyone's going through right now. But yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, there are many days when the first time I hear myself talk are like <laughs> if someone calls me. Uh, yeah. there have been some days where I, I haven't said a word, so it's, it's been pretty quiet, but I mean, you know, it could be, could be way, way, way worse. I know you and I, and the rest of, uh, refs of rest of Mavs employeedom are very lucky the way that Mark and Scent and everybody are kind of taking care of us. So, um, yeah, no, no I feel no like I'm honestly working more or having to organize more than I usually would. Usually like on a normal week, everyone knows what the what the deal is when the games are when we're doing this when we're doing that and now it's kind of like monday's the scramble drill you kind of figure out where to put everything um and then i get to the end of the day and i think about like okay how do you do this if you had a kid or multiple kids and you're trying to teach their class and also like do your job where it's like i don't know just getting up getting up and getting going in the morning of like making breakfast taking care of the dog like checking the emails I feel like it's always like 11 a.m. before I'm actually like ready to do anything. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, no, you got kids that probably wake up at like 730 in the morning. That's insane. Yeah. And especially but, uh, if they're like three to five where <clears throat> oh my gosh. they're not really self-sufficient to the point. You can't just like give them a packet. You know, you no. got to like teach them how to write and how to read. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's that hard. seems extremely challenging right now. But like you said, we are we are a few of the lucky ones that um, our jobs are pretty essential at this point. Um and our our owner has been more than supportive of 
of the people that are going through stuff right now. So um, hope everyone's doing all right. Um, me and Babito wanted to get together to give you something entertaining. Hopefully you've been um, participating in the all-time starting five of voting. Uh, I can kind of judge by the results what age group has more than others, um, or what uh, what kind of person has, where their affinity lies. Uh, but we'll jump into, that's what we're doing today. We're going to talk about this Dallas Mavericks all-time starting five um, and the results and what our five would be and probably just uh, yell at people for a little while if that's all right. Yeah, right off the top, I think it's pretty clear that all the college kids that were on spring break, they're the ones that are voting in the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah if, if 2011 was a really uh, impressionable time in your life, um, it probably was for all of us at some level, but uh, if you can't remember who Mark Aguirre is or never knew who Mark Aguirre is or don't know the name Rolando Blackman that well, you, uh, you uh, definitely voted in this poll. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. <laughs> which is fine, but, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess we can just start, man, I, I don't, I, at point guard. I feel like this was probably the most open-ended position. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Jason Kidd winning. I don't have the poll results in front of me, but I want to say he beat Steve Nash by one percent, right? Yeah. So it ended up being forty-eight point seven to forty-five point nine. Okay. Uh, so Kidd over Nash, two and a half, and then the rest, the rest kind of go into the runoff, uh, <laughs> the conservative delegate or whatever, the third guy that just kind of gobbles some votes from the, the Libertarian Party. Party. Yeah, four point five for Harp uh, percentage, and then Brad Davis got point nine. So um, just putting the list together, it was obvious the two guys that come to my mind uh, off the top for a guard or a point guard or whatever you want to call, you know, positions in basketball have evolved so much. That was part of the challenge of making this. Um, Yeah, it should be said you and I are the ones that that devised this poll. Yeah, so we we were the selection together. Yeah, so Kid and Nash are like obvious to me. Kid, because of the title, the rookie of the year, how great a player he is, and then Nash. Um, Nash obviously didn't win his MVPs here. Uh, he won them in Phoenix, and oddly enough, both guys kind of went off to Phoenix and then launched, <laughs> kind of launched into some greatness. But uh, I knew it was going to be between Kid and Nash. I thought my projection was like, okay, 60% Kid, probably 38, 40% Nash, and then Harp will gobble some of them. Um, but who, between those two, I guess overall, who, who would you pick? Just between Kid and Nash is tough. Mm-hmm. I, I think sentimental, sentimentality wise, um, Kid, I mean, he was the point guard on the title team. He started his career here. You know, he was the organization's mm-hmm. only rookie of the year until Luca won it. Um, yeah. but Steve Nash, aside from Dirk is the only Maverick to make an all NBA team. And he yeah. was, for a time, him and Finley were the only Mavs during Dirk's career to make an all-star team with Dirk on the team. So both of them were excellent, but Kid being here to win a championship is pretty awesome. And I think, too, I mean, Nash's best, best years came here, or it came in Phoenix, and Kid's best years obviously came in New Jersey. He went to back-to-back finals, but feel like he was probably better here or on better teams mm-hmm. while he was here than Nash was. And so that kind of breaks the tie. Uh, now, Nash did go to a conference finals, and he was on teams that won multiple playoff series where I think Kidd, outside of the title year, he was only on a team that won one series in Dallas. So it's not like he had a lot of success, but 
winning a championship is a that's kind of like the ultimate tiebreaker. So um, yeah, I would give it to Kid. What about you? That's that's why they do it um, for the titles. Legends legends live forever. Um, for me, on most of these guys, on tough ones like this, like this and the next position are the toughest to me. So I kind of like weigh it by okay, what's your peak when you were with the Mavs? What's like your hottest season? What's the one where I was like, okay, that's an all NBA player. Um, and then what's the longevity, right? So Nash was here for six seasons. Um, obviously, we have a lot of uh, affinity for his time here um, and the way they were evolving um, and the potential that they had in front of them. But honestly, like the first, I'm looking at his basketball reference page, the first two seasons with Nash like weren't very pretty, right? No, not at um, all. He's playing like 30 minutes or fewer. Uh, he's scoring like under nine points a game. Uh, doesn't start taking off until the final four seasons. Uh, eventually makes two all-star teams in that time, shooting 46% from three one of those seasons, which is insane. <laughs> um, but that's that's four solid seasons, right? Um, two all-stars, no rookie of the year like Kid had, no um, conference. Did they make conference finals? With uh, no, 2003, they did. 2003, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, one conference finals. Um, and then, obviously, you saw what he turned into in Phoenix, but to me, Kidd's resume is a little bit heavier. Um, that second year of Jason Kidd, I did not realize it was this insane. Um, it was 17 points, 10 assists, shooting, started shooting well from three. Some people said he, he was uh, ace and kid without a J. Like, that was the joke for, like, the longest time. And I was like, dude, his second year in the league, he's shooting 34% from three on five threes a game. Like, what are you talking about? At the time, that was good. Yeah, that was excellent at the time. Um, but if... Just think about any guard in the NBA now coming into the league in their second year. They're scoring 17, dropping 10 dimes, and shooting 34% from three on five attempts. You're like, that's the greatest player ever. Like, you think that's like the next Derrick Rose or Chris Paul or something. So that second year, he did get traded, obviously, in his third year after uh, 22 games here. And he wasn't playing that well in that time either. I don't know what was going on. Um, 10 points, uh, nine assists. Um, Minutes were about the same. I don't know what the issue was. But then the ultimate trump card that you have to play is a, a championship. A rookie of the year and a championship and a guy that just fit in with everything we threw at him those final five years of his Maverick career and just made it work. Made teams that had no business being like excellent 50-win teams. Um, so that's Kid. Kid gets a slight edge to me. I obviously love Nash a lot, but... Um, the title and the longevity and just carrying clearly being if Dirk wasn't the leader or the the face of those 50 win teams uh, that we hung our hat on for the longest time it was Kid for those five seasons he was here at the end and Jay Kid was on the three J's team which I think has like a, a pretty cool folklore element to it too oh yeah uh, absolutely that's like that's like run TMC or like you know any of those groupings that are just so quotable and like you want to a shirt with like the the giant head versions of them on. Oh like yeah, the, the '90s cartoons. Well, and yeah. they burned so. I mean, they didn't even burn brightly. They were around for like one year, and they won like 38 games. But still, it was <laughs> right. cool, and it was kind of like this future thing. I don't know. It was the first big three in Dallas, I guess, if you want to call it that. But um, I, I don't think that we did wrong by Harp or Brad Davis by voting Jason Kidd ahead of them because he's a Hall of Famer, uh, right. and Harp would probably even agree. You know, but. I do just want to give him a little bit of love before we move on. Derek Harper was, badass, was so man. good. He was so good. And, and unfortunately, I think for him, 
the peak of his career physically, like age 27 to 31, <clears throat> where you're like your body can still keep up and your mind has arrived, coincided right. with unfortunately like the downturn of the franchise. They traded yeah. some guys away. Some guys got older. They fell from Western Conference Finals contention to like not even making the playoffs. And so I think that sort of maybe affected, I, I don't know, like his ability to earn awards and recognitions. But I mean, like in 1991, he averaged 20 points and seven assists a game. And he played yeah. 77 games. The year before that, 18 points, seven and a half assists. He shot 37% from three that year. In 1992, yeah. he shot 39% from three. I feel like if he played today, because he was like a defender. Well, one of the too. best defenders in basketball. Yeah, yeah. All, Dude, he would always lead the league in steals, like totals. One of two Mavs ever to make an all defense team, the other being Tyson yeah. Chandler. And uh, I feel like if Hart played today or even into the thousands, whenever the game was a little more perimeter oriented, that he would have been awesome. But his, during his time here, he was playing with guys like. You know, Mark Aguirre, who played out of the post, Tarpley played out of the post. You know, it, it was much mm -hmm. more in that in that day and age, the way that they were playing. It was like point guard brings the ball up and then <coughs> kicks it to someone else who who makes the plays. Um, yeah. But he was, dude, he was so good. And this hiatus, I guess, and kind of preparing for this this poll and you know some other things, I've gone back and watched some old Mavs games. And dude, Harp was so freaking good. So I would definitely encourage you to uh, hop on YouTube and if nothing else like Moody Madness is available a couple of the uh, yeah. playoff games against the Lakers are online too so uh, check it out because first off it's fun to watch old games but just seeing Harp on on the screen like dude he he was really 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 good and and my kind of player too is a ferocious competitor really intense like not afraid to take big shots just a really really good dude really good player oh yeah absolutely and if we're a dude that shot almost 36 percent from three on his career like imagine if he played nowadays and he's shooting like seven eight threes a game at 36 percent like dude he's he's like fringe all nba team if he if he plays like that in the modern nba and then looking at uh the next position is obviously like a shooting guard or a two or a wing whatever you want to call it and then uh, Aguirre's position centers down there a little bit but realizing that Aguirre's best year and rose best year was 83 84 and that was Harp's rookie year. So if you had like mid-career Harp, like 29-year-old Harp, the season you just explained with Aguirre and Rowe, like I think that team like takes the Lakers to seven games in the, in the quarterfinals when they got knocked out. I think they got 4-1 uh, in the second round after Moody. And uh, dude, if you had mid-career Harp, Aguirre, and Rowe Blackman, like that is an exceptionally badass team. It's his heart was, you know, a little bit younger than those dudes. And that was his rookie season, and he played, you know, 20 minutes a game. Um, wasn't really there yet, but he just, his timing was just off. It's like one of my one of my best friends in the world, Everson Walls, who is like the greatest cornerback the Cowboys ever had. No one remembers him besides the catch and the down years of the Cowboys, because mm -hmm. that's when he played here. He was just, it just didn't sync up for him. Timing's everything, man. Yeah. Yeah, well, and of course, at the very beginning of Harp's career, he was probably good enough to start, especially for them because they were so young. But Brad Davis was ahead of him on the depth chart, and Brad Davis right. was an established veteran. I, th I feel like mm -hmm. everybody just – because, you know, he, he never averaged more than, what, 12 points a game. Everyone right. just says, oh, he was just a fan favorite. That's why his jersey's retired. But, dude, he was on the first ever Mavs team, and he played here through, like, when they started becoming bad. Like, yeah. how, many, how many players who were – 
starting caliber NBA players would be okay with going to an expansion franchise, sticking it out for three really bad years, and then being the starter on a team that goes all the way to like the second round every single season, right? I mean, they, they win. They uh, Moody Madness was their first time in the playoffs. They won that game against the Sonics to go to the conference semis against the Lakers. And three years later, he came off the bench. So not only yeah. was he like their best and most important player, kind of the face of the franchise for the first few years of the Mavs, but then he was okay with seeding his starting role to someone who was better than mm-hmm. him. Like that type of thing would not happen today ever. I mean, there, there's no way that a veteran would be like, yeah, you know, this guy who's better than me and plays my position and will reduce me to just kind of like a, a bit rotation guy. I'm fine with taking a back seat. I'm and Brad was only like 30 at the time too. It's not like he was old yeah. and washed. So uh, yeah, hats off to <clears> him <throat> and and Harp for making that happen. But yeah, point guard is a really good position in Mavs history. I feel like going from Davis to Harp, basically directly into Jason Kidd. Few weird years in there before uh, Nash <laughs> came along, and then Kidd came back. Basically, you know, a couple weird years uh, where Devin Harris was here. I guess who's if he's your weird year point guard, then you're you're doing all right. And then Kid comes back, and then it's like you know Rondo was uh, hit or miss, but mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, man, there's always been a good point guard in Dallas. It's one of the things about this franchise that is kind of unique. Yeah, this was this Kid versus Nash matchup to me was like the juicy juiciest matchup of any of the guys in terms of two Hall of Fame players, two borderline MVP players. Um, a title versus a two-time MVP, which obviously the two MVPs didn't happen with us, so I kind of washed those out. Um, the next position, if you want to jump to that, um, is our first wing shooting guard, whatever a two, whatever you want to call it, man. Not a primary ball handler, but a guy that uh, definitely his usage is super high. He's getting a lot of shots off. Um, you know, you know what position we're talking about. Um, and but this position to me was like maybe the one that I couldn't choose. Yeah, I could choose kid. I could come to a, a conclusion of kid over Nash in his time in Dallas. I don't think I. I still don't know if I have a conclusion of here's the here's the board. So here's your here's your uh, your bingo cards. Uh, Jet, Jason Terry, uh, Michael Finley, Rolando Blackman, and Jim Jackson. Uh, to me, no offense to Jim Jackson, he's not on the level with the rest of those dudes. Um, he just kind of has a lot of folklore, and he's still in the media, and he's a super nice guy and was a really good player. Yeah, it's he's not like on. Him or Monte Ellis for that fourth spot. Yeah, really. yeah, exactly. Um, so Jet ended up winning the fan vote, 55.5% of the vote. That's a lot of votes. Yeah, Finley, 26.5%. Roe Blackman, 16.4%. So the battle in my mind is not even between Jet and anybody. Um, it's Rowan Finley. And the reason, I, I, I swear it's like 51% Row, 49% Finley in my head. Because, um, I mean, I obviously grew up watching the Finley Mavs. Like, that's, that's the heyday, right? I'm 10 years old in 1996, and that's when I start getting plugged in. And I'm like, who's this guy dropping 20 every game? He was my like, first plays, favorite player. Yeah, he plays like a dog, man. He was, he was awesome. Um, and then you go back and you have to learn a little bit about Row. Uh, and figure out that 83-84, he scored 22.5 points a game um, and was a complete badass for, like, let's see, <laughs> from 82 to 92, averaged 19.9 points per game. Like, he's a beast, and he's super versatile. 
Um, and I, this one, this one's tough to me. This one's extremely tough. And I always link Finley with like a lot of really down years yep. <laughs> whenever it was super difficult to be a Mavs fan. And I know looking at the minutes kind of swayed this for me because I feel like the first, um, let's see, six seasons with the Mavs, um, he played nine total. Uh, the first six or so, five or six, I feel like they were almost like money balling him like the Oakland A's <laughs> used to do with, do with pitchers where they would let their pitchers go out there and pitch like eight innings no matter what um, and just run them into the ground. Because he's playing 41 minutes a game, 41 minutes a game, 42, 42. He led the league in minutes per game three seasons. He didn't miss he starts, a game for the first yes. six full seasons of his career, including the first year he was in Dallas. He played 83 games. What a monster. What a monster in the minutes. And that's, I mean, so the production, I just kind of take it as like, okay, he's always on the court and he's the best offensive player we had at that moment until probably like 0102, Dirk's second or third year. Um, and those weren't good teams. So nothing against Finley's career. I think he's, you know, a top six, seven Mav all time. Um, I just think Roe going to obviously um, the Moody Madness part of it. Uh, the eighty three eighty four season, um, I, I honestly can't. I still can't decide. I'm still going back and forth. Well, and one of the most iconic moments in Mavs history too didn't even happen in a Mavs uniform. The nineteen eighty seven NBA All Star Game, confidence, yeah. baby, confidence. That's like the coolest moment. I mean, for a, for a team <clears throat> like the Mavs, who had, at that point had never been beyond the second round, uh, Rowe was still kind of young. No one was really a Mavs fan. They were in their first decade of existence and here he is tying the all-star game with zeros on the clock and just screaming at the rim on national tv that's like the that's the coolest moment still gets my blood rushing you know watching him yeah. do that um yep. but uh yeah i'm with you man i mean the, you could say kind of the same thing about uh finley as i just did about brad davis where you have this established veteran player who's playing big minutes and is a key contributor on a team that isn't quite good enough to even make the playoffs and then by the time the other guys on the team are ready to take over he's like totally willing to sort of step step aside almost you know mm -hmm. uh finley averaged 22 and a half a game in 1999-2000 and made an all-star team and uh three years later the Mavs won 60 games and he was still averaging 19 a game it's not like he was like coming off the bench or anything he was still getting a ton of shots but just being okay with saying like Steve, I'm all right if you do all the facilitating. Dirk, I'm all right if you lead the team in, in shots. I'll just kind of hang out on the weak side and, and shoot open threes and, you know, work out of the post every now and then if you need me to. That was such an important piece of that team and kind of the blueprint of every team's big three. I mean, like, Clay Thompson is a different player than Michael Finley, but it's sort of the same blueprint almost, right? If you have this big body two guard who's versatile, can play multiple positions, and can score wherever you need him to, uh, you don't have to play through him all the time, but having him on the floor, you can play through him whenever you need to, and he can get you a bucket. I mean, I don't know. It's just a really uh, – he was a really important piece to those teams, even though he wasn't, like, the featured guy. Rowe was mm -hmm. kind of the same way too, but I think just his longevity with the team is what broke the tie in my head. Um, even though Mike averaged more points, Rowe was here longer. He was here for 11 seasons. He scored almost 17,000 points for the Mavs. He was your all-time points leader. Um, until Dirk came along, which is, you know, there's no shame in being second place, which he's still second place on that list. 
and uh, you know made an all -star, made two All Star teams with the Mavs, which is the same as as Finley did. And I don't know. I mean, you could they both went to a conference finals, um, but Finley left to go to the Spurs, which is kind of like a oh, you big jerk kind of yeah. thing. Not that it was his choice. The Mavs actually amnestied him, uh, and then Mike exacted revenge by winning a championship before the Mavs could. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't shame anybody for voting for Finn or Rowe. I could see both sides. I think just like the – I wasn't alive in the 80s, so it's like fake nostalgia. But I feel like the 80s Mavs needed to be represented on this list. And Rowe, if nothing else, was the perfect candidate to do so because he's still involved with the organization. Is still like – I don't know. He mm -hmm. still represents everything that the organization is all about too. So I feel like as kind of like a statesman, he belongs. Um but we're doing Jet well, a disservice too, by the way. Yeah, for sure. We didn't got the Jet, but if if Roe isn't that good, like that early, like second season scoring eighteen a game, um, I don't know if the franchise like lasts. <laughs> like honestly, if he doesn't turn into an All Star, you know, in his fourth season and makes three straight, um, and him and Aguirre in eighty three eighty four was like one of the coolest combos that's ever existed. Uh, Mavericks history and no one ever talks about him, hmm. um, but yeah, Finley's Finley's right up there, dude. I, if I could if I could play small and start two of these dudes and throw Dirk at center, let's talk. Yeah, because I, I think I think Finley, I think a kid Finley, Roe, Luca, Dirk lineup would be oh, pretty that's nasty. Disgusting. It's disgusting. That'd be nasty. But yeah, I guess we can get the Jet. Um, eight seasons with the Mavericks, averaged sixteen points a game. Shot 39% on five threes a game with the Mavs. Obviously, the title obviously hit some of the biggest shots in Mavericks history uh, in the NBA Finals. But, I mean, he's a six-man for a reason. <laughs> you kind of got to hide him on defense a little bit. Um, but his attitude, man, I mean, I'm, they don't... If you add another player in Jason Terry's body and he hits those same shots, but he doesn't have that attitude that Jet has, like, F this, we're doing this, like every single game, we don't win the finals. Like there's, there's just not a way I see us winning the finals. So two finals appearances for Jet, um, 0506. I mean, he was awesome. I mean, 17 points a game, peaked at 19.6 points per game in his age 31 uh, season in 08, 09, and then the finals. Man, the 2011 finals was uh, a lot of people still dreaming on that. Um, still, and I, I, I totally get it. It's just to me on the whole. Finley and Rowe are more complete players. Um, so once you take one out and you're not voting like one, two, three, and you're just voting one player has to win this position, Jet doesn't quite level up to Finley and Rowe in their careers as Mavericks. Yeah, yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, because we, we, we said that, you know, Kidd winning the championship breaks the tie with Nash, and, and I'm not sure that a championship is enough to overcome two like really really kind of historically good players at their position mm -hmm. um but like whenever the Mavs won the championship in 2011 obviously game six like Dirk had nothing in the first half and Jet just went insane he lost his mind in that game he scored 27 points he was great he shot 44 percent from three during that playoff run he averaged 18 That's a game insane. the first time they went to the finals in 2006 during that playoff run he averaged 19 a game and and I feel like, you know, Dirk's championship, like the way that we viewed it through kind of kind of like focusing on him was like he finally got the monkey off his back. He overcame all of his shortcomings and, you know, really became a complete player. 
But if you travel back in time, especially to 2009 and 2010 when the Mavs got bullied by the Nuggets and then they got upset in the first round by the Spurs as a two seed, the huge criticism of Jet was this guy disappears in the playoffs. He's Mm -hmm. really good in the regular season, but if you just put a bigger guy on him or like a really good defender on him and don't let him run around and do whatever he wants – then he can kind of disappear. And, and his numbers reflected that in the playoffs. His, his scoring went down every single season from 2006 to 2010. And, uh, you know, it, it was a really kind of a, a weight pulling down the team because outside of Dirk, you didn't really have a reliable scoring option on the team. Mm-hmm. But in 2011, Karan Butler goes down, and you're like, oh, my God, Jet has better deliver. And uh, he did. He was, in, he was amazing. He was amazing during that playoff run. And, and going back in uh, – finding pictures to for like these graphics that you were making just looking through photos from that playoff run like after every single shot he made whether it was the first quarter or the fourth quarter of a finals game he was talking such incredible amounts of trash to anyone <laughs> doing who would listen every single time yeah like every I, was, single I was worried time. about finding enough photos good photos to use of him doing the jet yeah and then it's like every other one he's just flying we got him from all angles any any he, if he's not doing the jet he's screaming at the crowd getting them into it like he just had such a such a swagger about him during that run mm-hmm. and um i mean his own resilience and like fu attitude was kind of the driving force in the game to come back He's the one who not only like famously got pissed off and said, oh, nobody likes a show off, but also he scored like the first eight or nine points of that comeback run too, uh, yeah. in the fourth quarter of that game. And, and people kind of forget that. So as much as the, the title was like, a, I don't, I don't even know, like the ulti- sports ultimate comeback story for Dirk, it was kind of the same thing, maybe to a lesser degree for Jet because he wasn't the best player and doesn't have all, you know, the pressure that comes along with that. But he yeah, was and I mean, he was he went in a great situation in, in Atlanta off the top, so people don't like consider him like competing for titles early mm-hmm. on. Um, but that's just that's his perception, right? Because he wasn't on a great team and he scored a lot of points not being on a great team. So you label a player this, and then you add him to the Mavs. And looking at Finley's uh, year by year, I think well, number one, they kind of drove Finley into the ground. Um, playing like 38-plus minutes every single season, and then we're like, yeah, this guy's not going to hold up because we drove him into the ground, so we got to find a solution for this, right? Um, and Finley's last two seasons with the Mavs, um, 03-04 and 04-05, he was shooting basically five threes a game and hitting north of 40% on them. So they realized a two-guard that can play off ball with Dirk, if they have any kind of gravity or any kind of shooting skill set, we can kind of cheat that position a little bit. And I think that's where the idea of acquiring Jet came from. They saw what Finley was doing off ball, just being able to catch and shoot off what all the gravity Dirk had. And then they added Jet, who had as much gravity from the three-point line, and that's an unstoppable offense. Like, you have to close out hard on both those dudes, double-team both those dudes the second they come into the game. And then your other three dudes are just like, yeah, I've either got layups or one-on-one situations against the other team's third or fourth best defender. Um, So just like what they saw coming down um, the road of whenever Dirk started getting his superpowers and what Finley taught them before he kind of like burned out um, was what Jet became. Yeah, well, and of course, being able to turn Antoine Walker into Jet was an incredible, (laughs) incredible move. Yeah. uh, I'll do that every time. Yeah, but they, I mean, I I don't know if they initially got Jet 
to be a two guard or even be the point guard because in Atlanta he played point guard and here for a yeah. while he played point guard but then you get Devin Harris in the draft too is you traded Antoine Walker for Jet and then Antoine Jameson for Devin Harris and Jerry Stackhouse as well but Harris was so good in training camp they're like oh my god let's just start both of them so Harris was playing one Jet was playing two Finley was playing three and then eventually I think Harris moved to the bench for the rest of the season um, but regardless you know, Jet in Nelly's offense was just this, like, gunslinger. I mean, I, he averaged, like, 20 a game that year, I think, his first year in Dallas, or close yeah, he to went, it. Yeah, he went, he went full Van Exel, man. Yeah, he was like, just In he those was playoff playing, runs. Yeah, out of his mind. And then, uh, you know, Nelly stepped aside, Avery took over, and uh, Jet still started under Avery for, for a long time. Um, but him and Dirk, that two-man game in the fourth quarter was just – that that was like the bread and butter of the Mavs offense for so long. And I, I pulled these numbers up for a different podcast that will come out uh, next week or the week after that or something. But um, the 06-07 Mavs were 32-6 and six in clutch games. 32-6. and <laughs> six. And if we're thinking about wow. this year's team, they're what, 14-21? and 21? That's, what, that's the knock against them. But that 07 team did not lose clutch games. And that was the third year in a row that the Mavs led the league in clutch wins. And a lot of that was because of Dirk, because of his own individual brilliance. But the Jet-Dirk two-man game, pick and roll on the right side, where if you double Dirk, Jet would pull up from the baseline. If you switch, Dirk would attack the little guy. Or Jet would drive around the big guy and dunk on him. And he always did the thing where he led with his feet, so he'd kick people kind of in the, in the, in the nuts <laughs> if they would challenge the shot. I mean, that was, the, that was unstoppable. Uh, every bit is unstoppable as the Nash Dirk pick and pop. The, the the Jet Dirk pick and roll was just so good. And so, I mean, <clears throat> Finley is the better player. Rowe is the better player. And their place in Mavs history, I, I, I feel like, is probably a little, I don't know, more uh, more prestigious than Jets simply because they're, they, they've I, – I don't even know how to, how to describe what I'm saying here. I mean, they made all-star teams Jet, and Jet, Jet didn't. But Jet is kind of like the finishing touches on a title team, but you yeah. don't get there without like a Finley or Rowe type player, right? Yeah, the guy yeah. that can play like thirty-five minutes a night and play both directions and yeah, exactly, and give you twenty points. Like yeah. if you had Jet, like peak Jet to any like um, you know second round team that got bounced, if you had him to you know just fill in the blank of a Western Conference team last year that got knocked out second round, like I think those dudes go to the finals. Dude, if, you put, if you put Jet on player. this year's Mavs team. Yeah. Like mid 2000s jet with Luca and KP would be Oh my god. He would be so good. Yeah. I mean but yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of this I don't know. Jet is like whenever he's out there if you have Jet and Dirk on the floor then you better have a lot of good defenders and that's where having yeah. Jason Kidd and Sean Marion and Tyson Chandler are so valuable yeah. because Yeah, and Deshaun. Yeah, and Deshaun and you know if if you're playing Jet against second units then you can get away with the JJ Jet thing with Peja and you know all that stuff but yeah, he's a super, super good offensive player, obviously, and just attitude alone I think is really valuable. Um, I'm not sure that it's a – after talking about this, I'm not sure it's as big an upset as I thought it was that Jet beat those guys. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he should have, but, I mean, if you're making an all-time team, I think just poetically it makes sense for Jet to be the sixth man of said team and not the starting yeah. two, but I won't complain too much. Yeah, if we would have made a six-man spot, he would have probably gotten 95% of the vote yeah, or for something. Sure. For sure. But, you know, you got to do a starting five. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm fine with either of the three. My preference is um, Finley or Rowe. Um, and, you know, Jet, 
obviously won a title here, and a lot of people have very fond feelings, as I do, about Jet and his time here and how great of a guy he is and how he's continuing to be in, involved in the organization and on TV and everywhere around the team. So um, totally get it, totally get the vote. It does seem weird now that it did – it was a harbinger of what was going to happen at the center position later, and that yeah. bummed me out. <laughs> yeah. Because – We'll get to that in a minute. But, People love um, winning championships, I think, is what they we're They really, really don't even look at the basketball reference page and just think yeah. about who was <laughs> yeah. playing. Yeah. Like, if we would uh, put, uh, um, I don't know, you can't, honestly, can't put any more championship <laughs> uh, winning players we on Peja. here. We could have yeah, put Peja JJ in here somewhere. I mean, we could have yeah. put JJ, too. Yeah, JJ was close. Mm-hmm. Um, he might have gotten more votes than Brad Davis, but Which next is time. outrageous to me. But, well, then again, I mean, JJ has had a, a very good career with yeah. with the maps. I mean, he won a Player of the Week award for God, for God's sake. But yeah. Um, so next next position is uh, small, small forward. forward that's an air quotes. three or wing, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. It was just a collection of guys that kind of leveled up pretty nicely. Uh, it that was are Luka. all six foot eight, basically. <laughs> yeah, oh, the six foot eight player, uh, Luca, Sean Marion, Josh Howard, and Jamal Mashburn were our four finalists for the second wing spot. Luca. Wins the vote, receiving seventy-seven point eight percent of the vote. Poetically, yeah. um, we couldn't Marion, make it seventy-seven point seven. Just change <laughs> one I vote. Could, I could, I could fudge the numbers if I wanted yeah. to. Um, Marion sixteen point three percent. Josh Howard four point three percent, and uh, Jamal Mashburn one point seven percent. Not that stiff of competition, um, honestly, for for our guy for uh, number seventy-seven. Um, what he's shown in his first, um, whatever it is, 110, 20 games as a Dallas Maverick is uh, nothing short of Nowitzki land. Um, and that's like the best runs ever of a Maverick. Um, so I think it's fun to, what I constantly do is like measure him against like, you know, that's that's great what he showed us last year, but, we'll, you know, what is he is he a Harden? Is he is he a LeBron? Like, where is this going? Um, what do you need? How do you build around this type of thing? Is he an all-encompassing offensive engine? And where does it stack amongst the best teams in the NBA right now? When really what I should be doing is going, okay, this guy's played um, 120 games as a Dallas Maverick. And it's the best 120-game stretch that almost any player has ever had. And so I have no problem with this vote. I would have no problem with it if it was 100%. Uh, Luca, all respect to Tricks, <laughs> our boy, uh, Josh Howard, who was one of the most fun Mavs of all time. Um, and then Jamal Mashburn. Had to throw a fourth guy in there. Mash isn't necessarily on this level, but he had some big, big scoring nights. So uh, I don't think I'm going to get any argument from you on <laughs> who should have won this one. Yeah, no, not at all. I think the only, I, I guess, there were people on, on the internet who said this, is, well, he's only played two years, so why is he eligible for this? But his two seasons here has been better than probably 95% of NBA players' entire careers. Um, yeah. Literally, I mean, just truly, he won Rookie of the Year. Uh, he was an all-star starter. And he will be an All-NBA player, possibly All-NBA first team, and he'll probably finish top four minimum, eh, top five minimum in the MVP voting. So, and, and that's in the second season. So I, I don't care if he's played 10 years or two years or even one year. If you do all of those things, 
mm-hmm. in 120 games, then you belong at least as a candidate on your all-time list. And if you're going to finish top five in MVP and you want a player of the month for a whole conference, you're going to make you, – you get to get voted on. Yeah, you made for the sure. ballot. Yeah, Sorry. for sure. And, and this year, now it's only 54 games, and I, I don't know how many he'll end up playing this season. It might just be 54, but who knows. Um, 41 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists per 100 possessions. 41, <laughs> 13, and 12. Yeah. And the only other player ever who's done that is Russell Westbrook. The year he won MVP. That's it. So, I mean, we're talking yeah. almost unprecedented production. And the the whole thing, like, the way the internet evolves is in, is really funny to me because we went from, like, holy crap, Luka is good, to now mm-hmm. the Mavs win, are winning, like, 20 more games this year than they did last year. But the fan discussion has shifted immediately to, oh, it's just empty production because they're losing all these crunch time games. Right. And it's like, you numbskull, you cretin. He's 21 years old, and he's like he's getting a triple-double in his sleep. Yeah. Like, in what, what will he be like in three years when right. he's 24? Or five years yeah. when he's 26? I mean, LeBron didn't win his first championship until he was 27 years old. Luka yeah. has six years to get to that level. Like, And I, I don't know that there's any doubt in my mind that in the next six years he will – I don't know if they'll win a championship, but I would imagine they might make a finals run. You know, yeah. I would imagine he he might bag an MVP or two. Like, there's a very mm-hmm. real chance that that we're having those conversations within three or four or five years. And so there is a little bit of projecting going on here. But uh, first off, within the Mavs organization, he's very clearly the best small forward ever. And and second, just like the way that we watch him and, and criticize him and, and analyze his game. Is like, dude, you've got to take a step back and just. I know your his step back threes might make you a little upset every now and then because he does take some silly shots and he does waste a lot of possessions by maybe over dribbling and all that stuff. But like, he's in his second season, so mm-hmm. to expect any second year player to just be like totally devoid of weakness is you'd sound like a. a dummy saying that out loud so yeah uh i mean if this is like again like we were saying last year about him as a rookie that was the worst he'll ever be this might be like the second worst he'll ever be you know <laughs> yeah. so uh just that that thought alone is it's very exciting to me yeah and i don't want to be like attention policing and telling all of nba intelligentsia like what to pay attention to um but people think that if you don't come into your second season or your second prominent season, whenever you're like <clears throat> heavily featured on ESPN and Bleach Report and stuff and dominate the league, um, and people mold this narrative like in reverse, right? You look backwards and you go like, oh, well, Giannis, Giannis's second season, you know, he was borderline MVP. And I'm like, no, he had like three seasons before that. You just didn't know who he was. Yeah. Because no one covers Bucks games. And this kid was just like fun to watch and kind of goofy. Um, same with Harden, right? We like reverse engineer his narrative of like, well, you know, never win a title. So what does it matter? It's like, no, it it definitely matters. 35 points a game and like being an offensive engine that creates everything and you are successful into the playoffs. Um, you're not just like a regular season wonder. I mean, you you make a Western conference finals. I think they've done it twice now. Um, maybe once, but, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, you you just look back and you go like you want everybody to be Jordan, right? You want everybody to 
come in and be 500 and then make the playoffs. And the next year, uh, you want them to be in a conference finals. And then you want them to win the championship. And it doesn't work like that. There's so many things, influences and circumstances around um, the team's total success even if you do have a nuclear offensive player or just a nuclear all-time generational talent. Um, so, yeah, the knock... And, and we're just an impatient society in general. It's, uh, we, don't, we, won't, we want Amazon now. We don't want Amazon Prime, right? Uh, we need to, like, show up at my door with the helicopter, like, 10 minutes from now. I bought Animal um, Crossing the other day, and I had to wait for it to download onto my Switch. And I was like, no, why? I have to wait yeah. 30 minutes for that? Like, I, want, I, want to, I bought it. I want it now. Yeah, damn what it. is this trash? Yeah. Um, so if he's, not, if he's not the best player in basketball his second season, then he's like a false god. He's like a false prophet, right? Where in reality, he's having the best second season that probably any player has ever had on a team that's going to flirt with, you know, 48, 50 wins that we play the rest of the season. So, yeah, this one's easy. I mean, all love to, to Josh Howard uh, and his seven seasons here. Uh, had some really good seasons towards the end, um, scoring 19 points a game, um, hitting you know 39% from three one season, 35% from three. Uh, acceptable defense. Uh, the knock on on Jho was uh, when the fourth quarter came around. Yeah, he's not getting as many buckets. <laughs> Splits yeah. were kind of concerning. He was, he was a first quarter star. Yeah, yeah, which is good. Somebody's got to get you to 115 or 120 points. Like yeah. somebody's got to build that, right? Um, and. I'm, I'm not the guy that says all points matter. Like, for sure, fourth quarter points are way more meaningful than first quarter points. But you got to build that. You got to build that total somehow. And, and J-Ho was really important on that. And then tricks would probably be, I don't know, that second place in this in this position is super difficult to me um, between tricks and, and Josh Howard. Because uh, tricks obviously has the title. Um, only five seasons here, though. Obviously, offensive end is kind of what it is. Um, Double-digit score, but never really, you know, going to drop 25 on you. Defense was spectacular, at least those first three seasons. Um, and, like, I remember his years in Phoenix uh, when he was knocking down, you know, 34% from three and, like, effective from the outside. When he came to Dallas, that really wasn't a thing. Um, I completely forgot this, that, you know, 16% from three. He just stopped shooting them. 16%. 16% one season, 15% second season. Um, yeah, and then, you know, he crept back up like 30, uh, 36 in his final season as a Maverick. Um, but he was just the guy that was always there and always made like a huge play and always got a huge defensive stop and allowed you to roll Dirk and Jet out there for 30-plus minutes a night. Um, so it just kind of worked. It's more circumstance and he won a title. And he's just a great dude. I love Sean. Um, super funny. Um, and just nice to everybody he meets. And then Josh Howard was <laughs> the trade for the trading away of Josh Howard was a large reason why we won the title. Yeah. So it gets it gets colored that way, right? But his six seasons, seven seasons here were five of them were absolutely awesome. And he was a very good player. Um, and then Mashburn, I didn't look a ton into because his you know, it just didn't, it wasn't on the level to me. He did one year, he averaged, I think, like 25 a game. So, I mean, he, for one year, he was sensational. But, you know, other guys had many more good years. Yeah. So, what, three and a half total seasons with the Mavs for, for MASH? Yeah. Hmm. Three and a half had a 24 point season, had a 23 point season. Um, 
I don't know what happened that fourth year. That seems just like same thing happened to kid where it just, just fell like, apart, man. I mean, it was it's the three J's. That's the that's yeah. kind of the mythology. It, by the time yeah. they finally arrived, it was over. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mash was just a straight pure '90s score, man. Like, and those players, I just you know the longevity of them. They don't they don't really replicate from season to season mm. <laughs> or era to era. So yeah, and there, there was an like injury this, in there too. You know, it's let's so yeah. You got a little unlucky there, but um, yeah, great, great score. But that's you got to do something a little bit, a little bit more, and a little bit more consistently for me. Yeah. Uh, I did burn really bright those first three seasons as a Maverick. Um, shot well from three or well enough, um, and then you know filled it up with rebounds and assists. Never really like Finley level where you're like, oh my god, this guy's like a twenty-two and six and seven dude. Um, but Mash was Mash was a really good player. Um, never an all-star. Um, and then it just kind of, the magic kind of went away until, dang, I didn't realize he scored that much late in his career. Yeah. With the Hornets. He had kind of a renaissance. Yeah. His final four years were awesome. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's kind of like under, I guess not underreported because like who, who really cares, but it's just like (laughs) unknown, I guess, or maybe, maybe you just like looked over it. Sean Marion was not the starter on the 2011 team. Karan Butler yeah. was. Marion came off the bench, and whenever Karan Butler got hurt, yeah. that was whenever the Mavs went out and signed Sasha Pavlovich so that he could be <laughs> the starting three, starting like two, three combo guy. Marion was coming off the bench for the entire year. He started 27 games that season. It, it wasn't until yeah. they uh, released Pavlovich or like his 10-day expired or whatever that they were like, all right, let's just put Sean in there. We'll put Tricks in with Roddy. Uh, Deshaun Stevenson had been starting, but they they switched to Trix and Roddy to keep offense on the floor, and then they were like, "All right, you know, let's just let's start the game with a really good defensive presence with Deshaun and Trix." And that is whenever that was like game eighty-one or eighty-two of the season. They didn't arrive on the starting five that they used in the playoffs until like April twelfth. I mean, it was really, really down to the wire that they were still tinkering with stuff, and so. You know, I, I like the Mavs this year again used like thirty-five different starting lineups or something just insane. But they do that all the time, even when they're championship level good. Rick Carlisle is always like pushing different buttons. So uh, it reminds me of the uh, Steve Spurrier meme, where he's out there pregame and he's doing. You know, who Steve Spurrier is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Florida head coach, Washington Redskins head coach, and he, the old ball coach, right? Yeah. And there's this meme of Steve Spurrier out there doing like uh, high knees through a net pregame when he's like 70 years old it's just funny <laughs> on its face but then it says above it can't scout my offensive i ain't got no playbook <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Like, it's can't, true though, man. can't scout me if i'm just making it up yeah it's true <laughs> it's true and uh the other fun fact about sean marion is he was kind of like their a signature free agency move um I know that, you know, the Mavs have this reputation, deserved or not, as not getting a lot of, like, big-name free agents. But Mm -hmm. they got him. It was a sign-and-trade, but they got him in 2009. Uh, Do you remember that he played for the Toronto Raptors before he came in? Yeah, dude, I was like, man, I was so bummed about that whenever that happened. Because, I mean, he went to Miami in, what, that was a couple years after the title, and I was like, oh, good for for Sean. Yeah, yeah, I was like, like, good for Sean. Um like it's a guy, it's a player everyone likes, right? Like I don't know if he's a NBA Hall of Famer. Um, he's probably right on the cusp. He's probably like that good line 
of mm-hmm. like anybody a little bit better than Sean's definitely in the Hall of Fame. I, th- I think he should time? be in. I, I want to say that. Probably. I think he should be in, but probably should, probably should. Um, but um, yeah, when he went to Toronto, man, those weren't good years for Toronto. I don't think that was like Bosch going off for twenty-seven a game and um, maybe winning like thirty-five games a yeah, year. Yeah, I mean the 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 goal with that trade was to put Marion and Bosch in the front court together, and you have a lot of versatility. But if mm-hmm. all you do with them is play Bosch at four and Marion at three, then you're not really yeah. that versatile because they yeah, still had like Bargnani and Jermaine O'Neal, and so it was like, <sighs> all right, I mean, this, you know, it's not wow. really, it's not really working for us. But yeah, I was bummed. I thought his career was going to be over like within next twenty four months. I was like, well, it's fun time tricks. Yeah, but he he was still. I mean, considered like a maybe not an all-star caliber player because he was, what, 31, 32 years old, but then the Mavs were able to get him. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a huge move for them. Obviously, they don't win the yeah. championship without Marion, but, uh, yeah, I just I, – I looked at his bio page and I was like, oh, my God, they got him from the Raptors. I just – I always forget about yep. that era of his career. I definitely remember that. Because yeah. I remember he went there and I was like, they're going to try and get off of his contract or whatever at some point. And, I like, there was this little earmark. It was this a little – Hey, maybe uh, it was like whenever I called Parsons like a year in advance. Mm. But um, back then, you just you wrote it on like a MySpace bulletin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, "This is gonna happen. Watch yeah. for this. Keep an eye open for this." Um, but yeah, that's. I think what we're what we're realizing going through this is the kind of players um, that can succeed next to an offensive player at the caliber of Dirk Nowitzki. Um, and the kind of guys you can roll out and the kind of versatility that gives you across your lineups, um, a guy that carries that much gravity, um, and the kind of basketball you can play just flat out. You can play just a two man game and just be like the rest of y'all, you know, do what you do. Um, don't try and play it outside your skill set. Um, and that makes me super excited because I think Luca is on that level. Um, and you look at these, and to me, looking through these moves and these guys we added to the championship team, which is the most represented team on our all-time five, um, to me, it's just studying the last time we did this. It's, okay, these are the kind of moves you can make when you have a player like that, like who's our Sean Marion, like who's our who's our Jet, right? Who's going to be that guy uh, the next time we are in a deep playoff run and the team is built around Luka? So that's fun to me. You can't exactly recreate that team note for note, but you can kind of bring some, introduce some of those elements into the mix. But like, just to to kind of put it in perspective, Dirk was such a singularly dominant offensive player that the Mavericks won a championship by surrounding him with an unathletic thirty-seven-year-old point guard and a thirty-two-year-old small forward who that season shot fifteen percent on threes. <laughs> and they yeah. won a championship. So whenever you have a player who's that good, who's an A++++, you don't need four perfect players. You just right. need four players that complement that guy perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that is kind of the – and, I mean, now the Mavs have kind of taken a shortcut because they have two A++++ right. players. But uh, it, it makes it so much easier to really, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just – optimize your team around that guy you can you can match them with pieces that in many other systems wouldn't fit Marion went to the Raptors they didn't even go to the playoffs that year I don't think and then he comes to the Mavs and a year and a half later they're winning a title I mean that's that's how great players make other players better and how really good veteran players complement great players 
Yeah. And, I mean, schematically, obviously, KP is a closer comp to Dirk um, in style of play. But to me, it's KP's, even if KP reaches his full max potential, I don't think he's like, a, he's not an offensive engine, right? Because he's not a ball handler. Hmm. Um, and Dirk wasn't necessarily a ball handler, but you could dump it to him in the elbow pretty early on in a possession, or he would bail you out of a possession uh, that wasn't going so well. Um, so KP's obviously more schematically close to what Dirk did. But you see how easy and how you don't have to be perfect when team building around a guy that is an MVP caliber player. You can take some risks. You can take on Jason Terry, you know, a guy that, you know, people thought he shot too much in Atlanta and wasn't really a point guard, but kind of like belonged on the court all the time and didn't make a ton of sense. And Sean Marion, a guy that had washed out and was in Toronto. Um, and was shooting 15% from three, you know, and Tyson, who that was a huge gamble at the time. Um, I mean, his, he didn't go to Oklahoma city in a trade because he failed a physical. And then we said, yeah, we want that. Give me that for this team that should have aspirations of going to the title. That was Give me a for our, our last shot. <laughs> this yes. is the last time we'll ever be good. We're going right. all in with Tyson Chandler. Yeah. So, uh, Fourth spot with 1,000% of the vote, Dirk Nowitzki. Um, doesn't take much explanation. Mr. Six, 31,000 points. Greatest Dallas Maverick that will ever live. Um, probably a top five human being that I've ever met as well. Um, he was already in there. You don't even need to vote on that one. We got this one for you. Um, the face of Dallas sports into perpetuity as far as I can see it. Um, I know the Cowboys are pretty important, and you know the the dollars and cents might say Dallas Cowboys are more influential around the world. But in my lifetime, I don't think there will be another athlete that I'm more attached to than that man. So easy one. And uh, by the way, four nine is right around the corner. What three days away? Um, they'll be replaying Dirk's final home game on Fox Sports Southwest, and we'll have a lot of the great stuff we made last season for that game um, to share with you. So it'll be a great day. His 14-year peak, 14-year peak. Oh, my God. 23.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 48% from the field, 39 from three, 88 from the free throw line. Good he damn God, near man. went 50, 40, 90 for 1,000 games. Um, Incredible. Yeah. 12 All-NBA teams, 14 All-Star teams. Um, I mean, MVP, finals MVP. You know, whatever you, I, I could, we we could have an entire Dirk podcast, which we probably should. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll we later will. In the week. Maybe we will because April 9th is right around yeah. the corner. Yeah, and just like looking up, finding some of these like on this date history stuff uh, that we've been building, and just realizing like how many times he went like twenty twenty in a game, or how many times he scored forty, or you know how many times he would go 2020 right after scoring 40 and scoring 15 in a fourth quarter. And it would just be like a month run that I'm looking at. And I'm like, Oh, that's all the same year. That's insane. And I mean, I don't know where you were in your, so 98, 99, you're probably what? Like I was seven, eight, seven I was years, seven whenever seven, they got there. I'm, I'm old enough to remember it. And I remember like reunion arena games, but I don't really, I don't really remember it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so I was, 1998, I was 12, so I wasn't super, 
like all the way up to being completely obsessed with basketball yet, but I was about to get there. Um, so that was right at my time. And I just, I didn't, you know, you don't know. You don't know if your thing is like pretty good at basketball or a pretty good little player or if it's, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. Um, and it ended up being the second part. Uh, oh my God, I've never seen a player like this in my entire life or this unique or this kind of skill set. Um, but it's, it's, we're doing the same thing with Luca right now, I think. And the first two years, I don't think people were convinced. And then going through some of the honest date stuff that I'm doing right now and realizing like he went 2020, like four times in the span of like six weeks in 2001, I was like, yeah, I think everyone got the message then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think all the all the like I don't know kind of soft kind of whatever like all the things that people used to throw at him um I think that wore off by about the third year and then fourth year it's what 10 straight all-stars and then you know how the story goes but that man is uh he's an immortal man he's yep. he's he's epic yeah he uh when he's like 23 years old rolling into the playoffs against KG who's like already MVP caliber and Dirk mm-hmm. is like, oh, yeah? Yep. Uh, how about I hit you for 30 and 15 and sweep Dude. you? Dude. How about that? Dude. I went to one of those games. That was my first Maverick game. Um, it's a good way to start. I think it was – we – I don't remember what seed we were. Were we – were we, uh, That year, was above us, the Mavericks right? were a two – or they were, the, they were the three seed that year. Three seed. Okay, so we hosted that against yep. KG. Um, I went to game two. It was the second home game we had that series because mm-hmm. no, we won the first one. The Mavs were a four seed that year. I forget there were, there was three divisions back then. They won like fifty eight games. They were still a four seed. Wow, yeah, that was my first game ever um, at reunion, and uh, that was that was that's how you get hooked. That's just drugs straight into the veins of a fifteen year old. Um, but yeah, Dirk got the four four spot. Obviously, easy one. We'll. Uh, We'll tell some more dirty stories uh, later in the week for for four nine. Dirty stories or um, dark stories? <laughs> both. Okay. okay. Um, fifth one. Um, so we left this vote up to the fans, and I feel like they got it about half right on uh, two of the spots. Yeah. Um, and then this center one, I warned you. I said if we, I thought maybe if. KP got into the mix that just recency bias and um you know the the zeitgeist of the time how well KP's been playing this season might just dig in everybody's minds and I thought I can't really put a guy on the team that on the all-time five that hasn't really played a whole season yeah like even if it's just like one and then you know you start getting into these like negotiations of well Tyson only played two with us one of them's a title game I guess I have to I have to throw Tyson in there I can't leave Tyson off the all-time center list but to me so the winner is Tyson Chandler at 50.8% KP got 36.8% of the vote at second Mark Aguirre uh, 9.5% of the vote and then Sam Perkins uh, clocks in with 3% man Mark Aguirre as of right now is the best player on this list at the center position all respect to KP and his whatever 54 games we've had. 
of him. I think he's going to do spectacular things, and I think that someday he will be the obvious pick for starting center on a Mavericks all-time five. All respect to Tyson Chandler. Love that dude. What a great guy. I mean, more influence in his time here, in his two seasons that we had him, than almost any player I've ever seen in my life. Um, that guy just... People still talk about Tyson every week. How much they miss that dude, and Tyson did this and did that. And it's... Dude, he was here freaking... How many games? Let me see. But like 150 so 70, games. 74 and 75. So 149 games yeah. for the Dallas Mavericks. And do people talk more about him than almost anyone? Um, so you get the influence he had and how great a guy he is and the tone that he set when he was here. But to me, Mark Aguirre was so badass back in the day. Dude, he was like, I don't even know, I don't even know what player comp I'd put on him. Because like, see how many 40-point games he dropped? Um, like, he was like, Shack level of a bully um, but the boards aren't there the rebounds aren't there it's, that's the weird thing about Aguirre is like I consider him like a Charles Barkley kind of center um, but the rebounds aren't there like, yeah, I mean the just, thing is he wasn't really like he he's not a center because he's only what six 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 seven, and he did play yeah. a lot with Sam Perkins and James Donaldson mm-hmm. or uh, Jay Vincent and uh, who's the guy that they had um What's I, I, uh, Terry Cummings? Was that his name? Yeah. Uh, um, I was just Pat Cummings. Pat, Pat, Pat Cummings. Cummings. Yeah. Yeah. So they had, you know, they were always playing like multiple big guys. Uh, so even like calling it a center spot is almost like a misnomer. Maybe just think of it as like a second big, because yeah, Aguirre definitely sure. is at at least a power forward, even though he was usually like the third tallest guy. But that's part yeah, of the reason why center's a hard one to nail down because you can't really. I don't know if you'd list KP as a actual center on all this you know what yeah I mean? yeah and like tim duncan got away with being called a power forward for his entire career even though like Malik <laughs> yeah. rose would start next to him and stuff so you know yeah. we can call mark aguirre whatever we want but yeah you're right dude 29 and a half points per game dude. in 1983-84 uh 29 and a half points per game along with six boards and four and a half assists there are I would say probably less than like 10 players who have ever put together a stat line like that for an entire season. And one of them played for the Mavs, you know, yeah. it's insane that he was able to do that stuff. And now, you know, it, the, the, the peak of his career came in like the early to mid eighties, whenever pace was way up. And so like from a per possession standpoint, whatever you can bore me to, de- to death with all that stuff about how like numbers back then don't mean as much, but dude, he almost averaged 30 a game for a team that went to the yeah. playoffs, and he was 24 yeah, years old. Yeah, for a very good team. Yeah. Very good team. I mean, that 84 team, I was looking it up um, earlier. So what they finished, 43 and 39, finished second in the NBA in the Midwest Division. Uh, that was Rose peak year as well, and that was Moody Madness year um, against the Seattle Supersonics in the first round. Got 4-1 against the Lakers in the second round. But, dude, I mean, just... And he's he's such a hard player to like peg down because he's listed as a small forward. That dude is not a small forward on offense. Sorry. No, he's all um, around. He's, he's he's a post up. He's a post guy. Yeah, he's he's two hundred and forty pounds. He's six six two forty. I mean, he's he's Barkley. Like he's Barkley before Barkley, um, and probably a better scorer. Honestly, I got to look back at Chuck's uh, stats um, someday and just like compare him to Mark. But dude, Aguirre was an absolute badass um I don't know what his propensity was on the defensive end I can't answer that it's kind of hard to 
way for guys that are listed as wings back then. But over a steal a game in three of his seasons here, um, didn't really protect the rim that much because, I mean, he's 6'6". I'm sure he's, he seems like a dude that probably has a short wingspan because he has so much touch around the basket. But, dude, he was, he was Moses Malone, dude, that without, without the 15 rebounds a game. He was he, Barkley. He was dominant. He was dominant. Yeah. In, in the 1988 Western Conference Finals against the Lakers, the Mavs took the heavy favorite Lakers, who at the time were defending champions, to seven games in their first mm-hmm. ever Conference Finals. And in that seven-game series, Aguirre averaged 24.7 points, six and a half boards, three assists. He shot 51.8% from the field, and he shot 42% on two and a half threes a game. Think about yeah. that. A guy who could dominate that's, around that's the rim saucy. and step out to three. Now, he didn't shoot a lot of threes, period, like ever. He never took more mm-hmm. than, what, 2.4 in a game, yeah. and that was his last year <laughs> he, as he had a, a pro. Game, he had a game where he shot 10, which is hilarious to that me. That is insane. That's, that's <laughs> insane to me. But, uh, yeah, dude, just the, he, had, he had four seasons in Dallas where he averaged at least 25 points a game. The only other player who's done that is Dirk, and I don't, I don't think Dirk did it more than four times. In fact, he might not have even done it four times. Uh, just an awesome scorer, the featured offensive player on three or four of the top ten Mavs teams ever. Uh, just a really, really good player, a great player. Yeah. He went to the Pistons. The Mavs traded him to the Pistons, and the Pistons won back-to-back championships <laughs> once yeah. they got Aguirre. I mean, that's how uh, that's how impactful a player he was. He immediately started for the Pistons. Uh, averaged 15 a game for him this first year and then became kind of like a starter six-man hybrid guy. Averaged 14 a game for them in his second season. They won championships both years. He was a he was a great player. And uh, part of what made him and Rowe such a dynamic duo is that Aguirre would dominate on the inside. And if you, back in those days, you couldn't like, you couldn't play zone defense or do anything. So if you wanted to double a guy, you had to hard double. And Aguirre mm-hmm. could make the pass out to either Harp for three or swing it over to Rowe. Uh, the Mavs surrounded him with cutters and shooters, guys like Sam Perkins who could shoot a little bit from the outside. Uh, they just built that team really well around his kind of unique skill set as that kind of like Alex English, Adrian Dantley, like smaller dominant post-up guy who's just a really tough uh, matchup. Uh, also the kind of guy who would, outside of the specific time in which he played, I'm not sure that he would have been as effective a player just because <laughs> right. of his unique size and everything. But he was so good then, and he was such an important figure uh, on on the floor and and on those teams and everything that it's 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 crazy to me. No offense to Tyson, who I love as a human and as a basketball player, but I mean, Aguirre is easily the best player on the list, yeah. and he probably should have won almost every other position pitted against the players on those lists too. Yeah, for sure. So here's his. Uh Season highs and points scored. Uh, I'll just go by year. So rookie season, 42. Second season, 44. Third season, 46 points. Fourth season, 49. Fifth season, 42. <laughs> Sixth season, 43. Seventh season, 38. And his final season as a Mav, 41 points, was a, a season high for him. He had 22 games of 40 or more points. That's got to be more than Dirk, right? Uh, Yes. Wow. I think so. Or there might be Dirk might have like two more. Let me see. I'll look it up in just a second. But yeah, that dude. And honestly, once you start, once you know Dirk's on your roster, it's not like we're building like a, you know, um, an actual team that's going to go play basketball. 
But if you if you know Dirk is starting at your four, you're like, I just really like to see Dirk and Mark Aguirre. Yeah, just to beat people's heads in. Dude, um, high low with those two, it'd be oh unstoppable. Yeah, and that's that's where I was like, I'll love the Tyson. Obviously, his defense. Uh, Dirk had 20 40 point games. Mark Aguirre 22, still holds the record. Um, I knew they were I knew they were within like one or two of each other. But uh, yeah, once you put Dirk at the four and he stretches the court like that, and you're like, eh, who should we start at center? Do I need the defensive guy? It's gonna wall people off and maybe make some sneaky good passes and do all the Tyson stuff, or maybe I'd like Mark Aguirre to score 50 a game. I don't know. That seems like fun too. Yeah, but then again, I mean, a Luca Tyson pick and roll would be. Oh man, it's outrageous! It would be outrageously yep. good. So, yep. I could see it both ways. I, I could see yeah. it both ways. Um, I really we, wanted Mark to get some love on this. Yeah, um, I thought people might, and that's he was. That was the one position where I wanted to add like some context, like put some credentials next to it, because mm. I think if people actually saw the credentials of Tyson Chandler, two seasons um, as a Dallas Maverick, one title, um, Mark Aguirre. Eight seasons, one All Star, um, and twenty or three time three time All Star in twenty two forty point games. I would have been like, "Whoa, yeah, who's this guy?" Maybe I need to look into this. There's a lot of people who uh, probably don't even know he exists, honestly. Yeah, which no, is kind of sure. sad. It's like, but it's like, you know, it's like Jay Vincent. Like people don't know Jay Vincent was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> back yeah. in the day. Now, before we give a little bit of love to Tyson, uh, I do just want to shout out. Sam Perkins, and then also a couple near misses. James Donaldson, mm-hmm. near miss. Yep. Um, also, Jay Vincent had a, some very good seasons in Dallas, too, in the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. James Donaldson, I believe the only Mav to make an all-star team that is not on this list, uh, or, or that is not a candidate for voting. So uh, he had a tough competition going up against Aguirre and KP and Tyson. Uh, Sam Perkins, in his time in Dallas, I think he's more uh, remembered more for his – appearances with the Lakers and with the Sonics of course in the mid 90s he was a a huge player for them um in kind of their glory days but in Dallas man he was a stud I I never knew really that first off that he was here for six seasons that's a that's a pretty long time yeah uh to be with one team and in those years he averaged 14 points eight boards a game played power forward uh kind of like a a tweener big I guess he wasn't really big enough to be a center but uh he had touch to shoot from the outside which he didn't really get to show off until later in his career when he was playing in Seattle whenever they let everybody shoot which part of what made those teams so much fun but um a really really talented player Sam Perkins taken in the 1984 draft of course that's one of the the best drafts of all time now he's taken one pick after Michael Jordan one pick before Charles <laughs> Barkley so I think that that didn't really doesn't really do him any favors like retrospectively when we're looking at that draft but he was a very good NBA player and uh, also a key member of a Mavs front court which uh, let's list off some names here so in in the late 80s the Mavs were rolling out Aguirre Sam Perkins James Donaldson Roy Tarpley coming off the bench they had Detlef Schrempf coming off the bench uh, Rowe starting at the two with Derek Harper and Brad Davis. And my God, what a masterpiece of team building. That is also kind of the main reason why the Stepien rule exists. We'll talk more about that <laughs> in the future. But the Ma- that Mavs team was loaded in the late 80s. And Sam Perkins was a big contributor. But, I mean, obviously the stars were Aguirre, Rowe, later on Derek Harper too. But, but th- that, was a, that was a really, really well-made, well-constructed roster. Yeah, and some of the guys that didn't quite make um, any of the any of the positions, but mainly the the post guys, and there was only one, there's only one vote allowed on the post uh, 
uh, player position. Uh, Sean Bradley, Damp didn't make it, and Tarpley are the three guys that were like, you know, they're really, really good. Um, James Donaldson as well. I think you mentioned him mm-hmm. um, in terms of centers or, you know, back-to-the-basket type bigs that uh, deserve some, some love in Mavericks history but don't belong on my Mount Rushmore necessarily. Um, so where we land on what the, pl- what the fans did was – Well, kid. real quick, real quick, before we, yeah, before we wrap it up, um, we didn't really talk about Tyson that much. Just oh, in, yeah, in I'm the concept that, uh, that Aguirre was snubbed. But yeah. Tyson Chandler, I mean – you know, we've two seasons talked about it. They they don't win the championship without him. Uh, he was only here for two years, but his first year you win a title, which is kind of a cheating a cheat code. Uh, and then his second season, he was like the dominant rim running big man, fearsome rim protector, um, a force for good in a year where the fan base was divided over Rondo. You know, just kind of oh, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of a shame that his second year here ended the way it did. Um, yeah, he hurt his hip, didn't he? Something he was kind of something happened. Yeah, I don't really remember what, but he he did miss some time that year. Um, and by the end of that season, I mean the whole team was just kind of worn down. I think mentally and everything, it was it was tough. But two one year stints is kind of like almost like a folklore hero too. Um, yeah. You know, if he would have spent from 2010 through all the way through 2015 here, I'm sure that he would have had some awesome seasons and they would have had a lot of success. But almost like the the what if makes him almost more appealing I think to a lot of fans because uh there's so much unwritten uh about his career in the Mavs or what could have been his career with the Mavs but uh what we did see was a very very good player obviously the perfect compliment to Dirk in every single way imaginable uh a badass defender great on the boards really good around the rim on both ends of the floor and most importantly the vocal fiery uh kind of spiritual leader of a team that really kind of was dogged by accusations of being soft and being kind of weak and and being like front runners throughout Dirk's entire career to that point and then along comes Tyson and uh instills a little bit of alpha sort of like arrogance attitude um intensity to them and and next thing you know they're they're the champs so think mark aguirre was more deserving but tyson chandler as a uh, he he is still one of the best mavericks one of the most important mavericks of all time and uh he's the ultimate linchpin in that do you keep the title team together argument right which i know people will say well you don't got to keep the title team together but you should have kept tyson um well that that's fine to say um because the next year obviously he did win defensive player of the year but judging by his health history and what happened the next year when he was back, which is like a little bit of a sample size of what if he kept Tyson through his age like 29, 30, 31, then he comes back when he's 32 for that 2015 season, um, they get 4-1 against the Rockets, right? And James Harden, um, Dwight Howard, Josh Smith, pick and roll, just he just couldn't keep up with the offensive evolution of a big, big one covering uh, for Dirk too. I mean, that was, that was tough on Dirk. Yeah. That matchup was impossible for him. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying that it would have been for nothing if we brought Tyson back, um, after the, the title. And I don't think he would have won defensive player of the year. (laughs) Um, I don't think that would have happened. It was, it was a cool trick. And then being an all-star at age 30, that one does 
the ultimate like what if question. Um, it's in the top ten for sure of Mavericks history of what happens if you keep Tyson those three years and just bring him back and you know kid was aging um jet was aging you brought those guys back for a little bit of time one year and then they were both gone too yeah so what if and you go into 2012 with just dirk and tyson 2012 13 yeah. and then dirk or hurts if his knee the lockout the doesn't did. happen yeah or if the lockout doesn't happen yeah. right you think about that and what does that mean um and i would have really liked tyson to be here from age 28 to 32 uh, it feels like he was when you look back at it because we talked about him so much, yeah. like on a daily <laughs> he was, basis. He was always with us. <laughs> yeah, he was always just kind of with us when we're rolling out. I don't even remember who the centers were that we uh, went with besides man. Tyson. Jan Mahimi was in there, Haywood, uh, yeah. Chris Kamen, Elton yeah. Brand, Brandon Wright, yeah. of course, who I don't think anyone's going to complain about, Sam Dallenbear. Yeah, you just you look at that and you go, you're always measured against the guy that was here for one year and his one year we were the last team to win a game. We won the title that year. So yeah. no matter what you if you if you put rookie year, second year Dwight Howard in here, it's like well we didn't win a title. We won a title with Tyson. You know it's, <laughs> it's an impossible bar. Yeah. To to reach, but yeah, it's it's one of the better what if questions if I, he spends five years here. I do wish we would have got the 2013-14 season with him because mm-hmm. Dirk, Marion, Monte. Tyson and Jose Calderon would have been yeah. like the most wholesome, but like kind of secretly murderous teams yeah. like of certainly of that season. I mean, they would have been better than the eight seed that they were yeah. with Sam Dallenberg. I mean, they could have, they could have really done something interesting that year, but, but that's, that's the thing, right? Is once you show your cards, once you let the league know what you're doing, someone else is going to do it and they're probably going to do it better. Uh, there are very few like molds of team construction that get put together and obviously have su- sustainable success. The Warriors are who I'm thinking of. Like, okay, you hit on four straight picks, a couple of them not in the lottery or fringe lottery, and then Draymond, and no one's ever going to do that again, right? No one's probably ever going to do what the Thunder did again, hit on three MVPs um, in a row. But this build, this idea that, I can construct this basketball team. It's within my means. It's like an optional thing. It's not something that's just like out of nowhere. Like my first, my three first round picks hit so hard that they're all in B's. Like that doesn't happen. You can't bank on that. That's not in your plan. Harrison right? Barnes was their highest draft pick when building <laughs> right. that team. Yeah. So you can't plan on that. You can't, if, you, if that was what it, what it said on the grease board in the office, <laughs> like, okay, cool. Let's do that. Draft four Hall of Famers, cash out. Right. You know? Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. But whenever you're like, okay, I'm going to have three guys that are elite defenders. That's my starting unit. And then I'm going to have like the most wicked two-man game anyone's ever seen. And then I'm going to have a guy that knows how to drive the bus and does it at an elite level too. The second the league sees that, they're going to find a way to break that. So I'm not saying they would have been as successful that second season, the strike-shortened season, um, but it's just it's it's the fickle nature of everyone's getting paid a lot of money to try and figure out how to win basketball games, and the second you show them how to win basketball games a certain way, that doesn't involve nailing three first-round picks in a row or having the most money or the most allure or you're not the Lakers, um, 
everyone's going to try and do it or they're just going to try and rip you to shreds while you do it. So it's, it sucks. You show them how to win it and they take that and they do it better. Yeah. Yeah. And there were things that went wrong along the way too. I mean, what if Roddy doesn't get hurt? What if, you know, I mean, and and they were very close to getting a lot of very good players. What if Dwight Howard Mm -hmm. wouldn't have checked his Twitter messages and decided to leave (laughs) the magic? And well, by all reports, he might have come here. I mean, yeah. they're so close along the way, and I know everyone, everyone thinks that, like, that's the weird thing, too, like, as, as history becomes legend and legend becomes myth, is, like, the Mavs are criticized for letting Tyson go twice, and they're also criticized for chasing really good players. It's like, yeah. well, like, you didn't, like, you can't have it both ways, right? I mean, like, they were very close to getting these superstars, and what mm-hmm. if they passed up a chance at a superstar to keep an aging center? You know, I mean, yeah. then I, I feel like fans would be mad then, too. So, you know, I feel like they read the market right and that the next couple teams were going to be put together by these superstars that all hit free agency at the same time and wanted to play together. Mm. They just kind of misread their place in the marketplace. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's maybe maybe and I blame a lot of that on the strike. Because we didn't have an off season of, look how glorious the Mavs title is. Yeah, you know, it came along at the worst possible time. The worst yeah. possible time. And he, and if if the lockout didn't happen, then maybe they do keep Tyson, and then it's that much more attractive to your Chris yeah. Paul or whoever. Uh, the same can be said about 2015. If the most insane event in basketball history doesn't happen, then DeAndre would have been a Mav five years earlier than he was. And uh, we wouldn't even be like DeAndre would probably be the Mavs all time yeah. center. I mean, yeah, if you he'd think be up there. It. So, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a I don't know. You, you the what if game is a game that you will never win. I guess that's why it's yeah. so much fun playing because you're just always there's always new rounds, but you you can never you can never actually it, it never ends. So yeah, um, but yeah. So final final roster that we rolled out this morning um, per fan voting. Uh, was Jason Kidd, Jason Terry, uh, Luka Doncic, Dirk Nowitzki, and Tyson Chandler as the starting five. Um, pretty solid, pretty salty. <laughs> I think he would win a lot of games. That team would be good. Um, no, which yeah. which kid are you? Uh, if if we're actualizing this team, which like mm-hmm. seasons of these guys are you putting on the floor? They have to be seasons with the Mavs. Well, are we going with this lineup or our own lineups? Uh, with because the five, this, with the five that the fans selected, the fans. I, th- I mean, it's basically the title team with Luca instead of Marion. So, so are you going to are you going to take twenty eleven kid over like yeah, ninety five kid? Yeah, yeah, I take twenty eleven kid. Okay. Um, I mean, I would just take these guys at their title year and Luca right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we can do it. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a pretty pretty disgusting. I take team. all four of those dudes in two thousand eleven and Luca twenty twenty, and I think we'd probably win it again. So. Yeah, That'd be fun. That would be a really good um, team. Who who should my, who should your or if if you were the only voter, who would your all time yeah. five be? Yeah. Uh so all time five for me, kid. We got that one right. Um I'm talking myself into Finley. Um over Roe, just a little bit. Uh Finn Finn at the two. Luca, Dirk, Mark Aguirre. Who's your and sixth I think man? that team? I think I think uh six man be Jet. That's easy. Yeah. As a layup. Or JJ. Um, probably lean Jet, but JJ would be in there as well. I think that team would raise hell. <laughs> That'd be a good team. That'd be a good yeah. team. Uh, mine would be, man, 
J Kid with uh, probably Roe. I, I think I'd go Roe. Yeah. J Kid, Roe, Luca, Aguirre, and Dirk. And I'd just shoot a lot of threes and I'd run the floor. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that Luca and J Kid would find a way to make it work between the two of them but if if they just were always at odds then i'd bring jed in off the bench in relief of one of them and and, and they'd be fine you but, already got uh turmoil yeah hey i'm already projecting some some locker room issues but uh yeah. I, I don't i don't think like the fans got it too wrong or anything and like certainly dude i'm never gonna argue with anybody for loving tyson chandler and what he provided mm-hmm. to the franchise i'm never gonna criticize anybody for loving jet because jet is one of my all-time favorite basketball players whether i'm a mavs fan or not he's just like he epitomizes what we want athletes to be which is just like insanely confident overly cocky uh larger yeah. than life guys who are also like six foot two and 170 pounds you know <laughs> yeah uh he's he's always swinging you know out, out of the strike zone at everything and Dude, he's willing to talk trash to LeBron in the finals through the media and then yeah. hit the shot that basically clinched game five, you know, right in LeBron's face from 32 feet. I mean, that guy is the ultimate call your shot uh, player. And, you know, so I, I'm not going to criticize anybody for loving him. But, but yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Roe and Aguirre or Finley, I, two of those three should be in the, in the five for sure. Yeah, if I, if I picked Roe. Finn might be my sixth man. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of good players. That's the thing. Yeah, man. That's I mean, if, and you think five. about it, you know, without Luca, I feel like the five would be a lot easier because then you could probably mm. fit both Finn and Roe in. But the fact that yeah. Luca has been so good already is kind of like a, you know, it yeah. sucks for the older guys, but you got to make way for the, for the next one. For sure. All right. Well, that was fun, man. Yeah, that this was, was fun. This it's was fun, fun reminiscing about some of the greatest seasons and some of the greatest peaks of all Dallas Mavericks players' careers in the history of the franchise. Um, not mad at the fans. I totally get it. 2011 was <laughs> – we'll never forget that. It's so. the best year of my life. I mean, sports-wise, yeah. you know. Yeah. I've, I've never had that much fun watching sports. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, if y'all, you, y'all stay safe. Yeah, yeah, stay safe. But uh, if, if y'all have any um, whatever, l- let us know who your top fives are. I don't know yeah. if, you know, maybe you might not have even logged on Twitter uh, and mm-hmm. to see the poll. Maybe you don't even have a Twitter account. Um, let us know. If if you don't have a Twitter account, don't tweet at us. Find another way to contact <laughs> us. But if you do have a Twitter account, uh, just tweet at me. Tweet at Mike. Let us know who your top five are. Maybe share some videos, share some highlights, whatever. Make your own highlights. Let's just re- let's yeah. keep the nostalgia going strong because uh, we don't know when we can look forward to basketball again, but we can always look back. So, uh, sure. Let's celebrate that. And in, in the meantime, too, uh, Thursday is April 9th. Like Mike was saying earlier, Fox is going to re-air um, the 41-21-1 game at home against Phoenix and all the post-game and the ceremonies. Full, the full ceremony. Yeah, yeah, which is amazing. I'm looking forward to watching that whole game, by the way, because I did not see it on TV. Uh, I was yeah. there, and so I didn't see, like, the court projection. I only saw, you know, like, photos of, basically. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that I'm going to see for the first time. And then the next night, I believe Fox has a, a pretty special treat for us, too. Um, and then moving forward in the weeks to come, they're going to be playing some some pretty good games as well. I don't know if yeah. we can spoil some, those. Some games or... that y'all, y'all might like, people that voted on here. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you voted <laughs> in the poll, then you might enjoy watching some of these yeah. games. But uh, we'll, we'll maybe yeah. announce that a little closer to start hyping that up. But in the meantime, I yeah. Don't, like, I don't think I've seen the whole ceremony, honestly. The 41-21 ones. Where were you on the f- – 
where were you when that was going on? So I was at the radio row table, uh, 121 or whatever, lower yeah. bowl. Uh, I was sitting next to Damaris and Mike Reiner, I think, uh, whenever it started. And uh, yeah, that was... How did you get up there I... from... Because you, the, uh, you were in the suite with, uh, with the, the yeah, five we guys. Had to go, yeah, we had to go down to Sean Kemp and Barkley and Larry Bird. You know, my friends. Uh, yeah, Scottie yeah, Pippen, yeah. And, and De- my main guys. Had to go down there and hang out with them for like the third and most of the fourth quarter. And then I went up to the radio row. I just texted Jake or... Jake's seats were open because he was had actual seats, um, ticketed seats. So he's like, go up there, sit next to Damaris if you want. And I was like, okay. So you were in one twenty three. Yeah, you were right next yeah. to me then because I was I was up yeah. there too. I, I didn't yeah, see you I at all. We were, yeah, we were close. Um, yeah, that was one of the few times. We'll we'll tell the whole story later in the week, but yeah, one of the few times that I like, I'm shaking. Like I was, my hand, my hands were like shaking, like whenever that thing started. So. Um, We'll tell that story, but uh, yeah, y'all stay safe. Keep washing them hands. Don't take any uh, unnecessary risks. Um, if you made it this far, you're doing a great job, and Dallas is honestly doing a great job with the situation right now. No lie. Um, I saw one of those maps that has cell phone tracking stuff of like movement of how many people are like getting up and moving around and just going out um, and acting like life is normal. And Dallas was like, "We aren't moving around." Yeah. Um, I know it sucks. We're very active community people like to go outside like to go go uh go run get on the kd trail do all that business it's very tough for me right now to have to like w- try and work out in my garage and like uh, take a silly little walk with my dog like once yeah, a day yeah i'm definitely like... working out a whole lot too right now it's totally <laughs> yeah tough. you look, look pretty slow look yeah, pretty slow yeah, i'm the very, best very shape of my life yeah. I'm the best shape of my life uh probably uh wednesday night i'll probably do a haircut tutorial teach everybody how to cut their hair Ooh, okay that's <laughs> so a, that's a must watch so I'm going to look forward to that. But, uh, yeah, y'all stay safe, man. This is this is unprecedented times. It's very difficult. And uh, all, all we got is each other. So let's uh, let's keep on doing whatever you're doing. Whatever's working, man. Um, wash your hands a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just stick with it. We'll try and make some content for y'all as well um, to, to keep your ears busy and your mind off of how lame reality is these days. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, all we got is each other. So just take care of you and yours. All right. Thanks, Bob. That was fun, man. Thanks, Mike. We'll see y'all on uh, The Ceiling is the Roof.